Chapter number 17 of A Red Wall Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shashank Jakmola. A Red Wall Flower by Susan Warner. Moving. Mr. Dallas's visits became frequent, and he talked of a great variety of things but never failed to bring the colonel's mind to the subject of Esther's want of education. Indirectly or directly, somehow, he presented to the colonel's mind that one idea, that his daughter was going without the advantages she needed and ought to have. It was true, and the colonel could not easily dispose of the thought which his friend so persistently held up before him. Water wears away stone, as we know to a proverb, and so it befell in this case, and Mr. Dallas knew it must. The colonel began to grow uneasy. He often reasserted that he would never leave Seaforth. He began to think about it, nevertheless. What should I do with this place? He asked one evening when the subject was up. What do you wish to do with it? I wish to live in it as long as I live, anywhere, said the colonel, sighing. But you say, and perhaps you are right, that I ought to be somewhere else for my child's sake. In that case, what could I do with my place here? I ask again, what do you wish to do with it? Would you let it? No, said the colonel, sighing again. If I go, I must sell. My means will not allow me to do otherwise. I will buy it off you, if you wish to sell. You? What would you do with the property? Keep it for you, against a time when you may wish to buy it back. But indeed it would come very conveniently for me. I should like to have it, for my own purposes. I will give you its utmost value. The colonel pondered, not glad, perhaps, to have difficulties cleared out of his way. Mr. Dallas waited, too keen to press his point unduly. I should have to go and reconnoitre. The former said presently, I must not give up one home till I have another ready. I never thought to leave Seaforth. Hmm. Where do you say this place is that Mrs. Dallas recommends? In New York. The school is said to be particularly good and thorough, and conducted by an English lady, which would be a recommendation to me, as I suppose it is to you. I should have to find a house in the neighborhood, said the colonel, musing. Mr. Dallas said no more and waited. I must go and see what I can find, the colonel repeated. Perhaps Mrs. Dallas will be so good as to give me the address of the school in question. Mrs. Dallas did more than that. She gave letters to friends and addresses of more than one school teacher, and the end was Colonel Gansborough set off on a search. The search was successful. He was satisfied with the testimonials he received respecting one of the institutions and respecting its head. He was directed by some of Mr. Dallas's business friends to various houses that might suit him for a residence, and among them made his choice, and even made his bargain, and came home with the business settled. Esther had spent the days of his absence in a very doubtful mood, not knowing whether to be glad or sorry, to hope or to fear. Seaforth was the only home she had ever known. She did not like the thought of leaving it. 
but she knew by this time as well as Mr. Dallas knew that she needed more advantages of education than Seaforth could give her, on the whole, she hoped. The colonel was absent several days. There was no telegraphing in those times, and so the day of his return could not be notified. But when a week had passed, Esther began to look for him. It was the first time he had been away from her, and so, of course, it was the first coming home. Esther felt it deserved some sort of celebration. The stage arrived towards evening, she knew. I think maybe he will be here tonight, Barker, she said. What is there we could have for supper that Papa likes particularly? Indeed, Miss Esther, the colonel favours nothing more than another, as I know. His toast and tea, that is all he cares for nights, mostly. Toasts and tea, said Esther disparagingly. It's the most he cares for, as I know, the housekeeper repeated. There's them quails Mr. Dallas sent over. They's nice and fat, and to be sure quails had ought to be eaten immediate. I can roast two or three of em, if you're pleased to order it. But the colonel, it's my opinion, he won't care what you have. The gentleman learns it so in the army, I'm thinking. The colonel never did gave himself no care about what he had for dinner, nor for no other time. Esther knew that, however, she ordered the quails and watched eagerly for her father. He came, too, that same evening, but the quails hardly got their desserts, nor Esther neither, for that matter. The colonel seemed to be unregardful of the one as much as of the other. He gave his child a sufficiently kind greeting, indeed, when he first came in, but then he took his usual seat on the sofa, without his usual book, and sat as if lost in thought. Tea was served immediately, and I suppose the colonel had had a thin dinner, for he consumed a quail and a half. Yet satisfactory as this was in itself, Esther could not see that her father knew what he was eating, and after tea he still neglected his book and sat brooding, with his head leaning on his hand. He had not said one word to his daughter concerning the success or non-success of his mission, and eager as she was, it was not in accordance with the way she had been brought up that she should question him. She asked him nothing further than about his own health and condition, and the length and character of his journey, which questions were shortly disposed of, and then the colonel sat there with his head in his hand, doing nothing that he was wont to do. Esther feared something was troubling him, and could not bear to leave him to himself. She came near softly, and very softly let her fingertips touch her father's brow and temples, and stroked back the hair from them. She ventured no more. Perhaps Colonel Gainsborough could not bear so much. Perhaps he was reminded of the only other fingers which had had a right since his boyhood to touch him so. Yet he would not repeal the gentle hand, and to avoid doing that, he did another very uncommon thing. He drew Esther down into his arms and put her on his knee, leaning his head against her shoulder. It was exceeding pleasant to the girl, as a touch of sympathy and confidence. However, for that night, the confidence went no further. The colonel said nothing at all. He was in truth overcome with the sadness of leaving his home and his habits and the place of his wife's grave. As he re-entered Seaforth and entered his house, this sadness had come over him. He could not shake it off. Indeed, he did not try. He gave himself up to it and forgot Esther 
or rather forgot what he owed her and esther who had done what she could sat still on her father's knee till she was weary and wished he would release her yet perhaps she thought it was a pleasure to him to have her there and she would not move or speak so they remained until it was past esther's bedtime i think i will go now papa she said it is getting late he kissed her and let her go but the next morning the colonel was himself again himself as he had never been away only he had his news to tell and he told it in orderly business fashion i have a house esther he said and now i wish to get moved as soon as possible you must tell barker and help her certainly papa whereabouts is the house you have taken on york island it is about a mile out of the city on the bank of the river a very pretty situation which river papa the hudson and am i to go to school of course that is the purpose of the movement you are to enter miss fairburn's school in new york it is the best there by all i can gather thank you papa then it is not near our new house no you will have to drive there and back i have made arrangements for that won't that cost a good deal papa not so much as to live in the city would cost and we are accustomed to the country it will be pleasanter oh much pleasanter what will be done with this house papa mr dallas takes it and the place off my hands esther did not like that why she could not possibly have told for to be sure what could be better will he buy it yes he buys it again a little pause then what will become of the furniture and everything papa that must be packed to go the house i have taken is empty we shall want all we have got esther's eye went around the room everything to be packed she stood like a young general surveying her battlefield then papa you never mean to come back to seaforth again the colonel signed <sighs> yes when i die esther i wished my bones to be laid here he said no more having made his communications he took up his book his manner evidently saying to esther that in what came next he had no particular share but could it be that he was leaving it all to her inexperience was it to be her work and depend on her wisdom papa you said we were to move soon do you wish me to arrange with barker about it yes my dear yes tell her and arrange with her i wish to make the change as early as possible before the weather becomes unfavorable and i wish you to get to school immediately it cannot be too soon tell barker so he was going to leave it all to her on ordinary occasions he was wont to consider esther a child still now it was convenient to suppose her a woman he did not put it so to himself it is some men's way esther went slowly to the kitchen and informed barker of what was before her and it's the morning the middle of october was the housekeeper's comment that's very good time said esther you're right miss esther and so it is if we was all ready this minute all ain't done when you are moved miss esther there's the other house to settle and it'll take a good bit of work before we get so far as to that papa wants us to be as quick as we can 
We'll be as quick as two pair of hands is able for, I'll warrant. But that ain't as if we was a dozen. There's every individual thing to put up, Miss Esther, from our chairs to our bed and books and china, and I'll go to at the china, first of all, and today. And what can I do, Barker? I don't know, Miss Esther. You ain't no experience, and experience is some. You can't buy in the shop, even if there was any shop here to speak of. But Christopher and me, we'll manage it, I'll warrant. The colonel's quite right. This ain't no place for you no longer. We'll see and get moved as quick as we can, Miss Esther. Without experience, however, it was found that Esther's share of the next weeks of work was a very important one. She packed up the clothes and the books, and she did it real uncommon, the housekeeper said. But that was the least part. She kept her father comfortable, letting none of the confusion and as little as possible of the dust come into the room where he was. She stood in the gap where Barker was in the thick of some job and herself prepared her father's soup or got his tea. Thoughtful, quiet, diligent, her head, young as it was, proved often a very useful help to Barker's experience and something about her smooth composure was a stay to the tired nerves of her subordinates. Though Christopher Bounder really had no nerves, yet he felt the influence I speak of. Ain't her miss as her grow to be a stunner, though, he remarked more than once. I'm sure I don't rightly know what you mean, Christopher, his sister answered. Well, I tell you, she's an uncommon handsome young lady, Sarah, and she has a real way with her, the real thing she has. What do you mean by that? I'll wager a cucumber, you can tell, said Christopher, shutting up his eyes slyly. There ain't no flesh and blood round in these parts like that. No more'n a cabbage ain't like a camellia, and that don't tell it. She's that dainty and sweet as a camellia never was, not as I ever see, and she has that fine, soft way with her that is like the touch of a feather, and yet ain't soft neither if you come to go eggin' it. I tell you what, Sarah, that shows blood, that does, concluded Christopher with a competent air. Our young lady, she's the real thing. You and me now, we couldn't be like that if we was to die for it. That's blood, that is. I don't know, said the housekeeper. She's sweet and common, and she's gentle enough, and she has a will of her own, too. But I don't know. She didn't use for to be just so. Cause she is growing up two years, said the gardener. Lass Ali, folks is like vegetables, uncommon. You must let them drop their rough leaves before you can see what they're going to be. There were never no rough leaves, nor rough anything about Miss Esther. I can't say as I knows what you mean, Christopher. A woman needn't to know everything, responded her brother with superiority. And the natural world, to be sure, ain't your department, Sarah. You're good for a great deal where you be. End of chapter number 17